0: If you are 50 or older, and probably not many of you here are, but if you were 50 or older, you probably remember a television series that came out. It came out when I was in high school. I was a junior in high school. And uh, it was called Mission Impossible. And uh, you've probably seen the Mission Impossible movies, some of you. Uh, It is uh, little known by many that uh, it started as a television series. And uh, it ran from the years 1966 through 73. And uh, it was, when it started to to, uh, show on TV, it was quite, it raised quite a story. It was an exciting program. And uh, the actors were fairly well known. Uh, The lead actor was Peter Graves. Uh, He played a man by the name of Jim Phelps. Peter Graves was just tall and good looking and too cool for school. I mean, the guy was just really awesome. And uh, Barbara Bain was an actress. Martin Landau was in it, Greg Morris, and uh, every week the show would start with the same premise. Peter Graves, Jim Phelps, his character would, would be ha- have a, a message that he would have to go to a certain location. Usually it was a park bench somewhere, and he'd reach underneath and he'd pull out a tape recorder. And folks, it was an old tape recorder. It was like the, the real tape recorder. And, and uh, it was there, and uh, it would begin to play, and it would always start with... With, with some words of greeting, and then the statement would be made every week, your mission, Jim, should you choose to accept it. And oh, we would always lean forward to hear what the mission is, and it was usually an impossible mission. There you have the name, Mission Impossible, right? There was something exciting about that. There was something always that grabbed me when I would watch it, and uh, the Plots of, of these episodes were so complicated that the writers would have to start at the end and work backward. It was so complicated just, just to make sure that everything came out right in the end. But it was fascinating to watch. There's something very exciting about people on mission. There's something that, that grabs you. There's something that, that uh, is, is fascinating about a mission, especially if it's one that's of vital importance. If you were here a few weeks ago, Zach did a three-week series on on the the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, the first message he gave, he gave a quote that uh, just resonated with me. And and it was a quote from a movie, and it it contrasted the way of nature with the way of grace. The way of nature basically says, I'm in it for me. Uh, It's what I want, when I want it. Uh, if If I can get past you, I'm going to do it. It's all about survival, survival of the fittest, and that's the way we're going to live our lives. The way of grace is antithetical to that, completely the opposite. The way of grace, of course, is what God offers us through his son, Jesus, and it's, it's one of sacrifice. It's one of forgiveness. It's one of, of, of extending love to other people, and it is a call for every believer in Christ to mission. And so here's the question. What's your mission in life? What's your mission? What are you called to? What I wanna do uh, this week and the next following weeks is I I want us to begin to personalize that a little bit more. And I I want us to look at a text of scripture that we're going to be in for the next three weeks. And we're going to, you, you sort of pick that apart and go through a process of what it means to develop your personal mission. I was asked when I was young, and, and, and I asked my kids, I, I guess this when they were young too, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And uh, this is sophisticated, of course, uh, as, as people get older, you know, what, what, are, your, what are your plans, what are your you know, professional plans, what, what's your, your vision for your life? Uh, my wife will occasionally ask me still, what do you want to be when you grow up? But I won't, I won't tell you about those, that's usually not said with a smile on her face. I I was uh, with a a student 18 years of age, you know, senior in high school. He was, you know, he's thinking about his future, and we were talking about some of the struggles he had in school, and I said, well, what do you really want? What do do you want out of life? What are your next steps? And, And it was the... It was the litany of our culture. You know, I want to go to college. Why do you want to go to college? Well, I want to graduate. I want to get a good job. Why do you want to get a good job? Well, I want to make some money. Why do you make some money? Well, I want to be able to marry. Why do you want to be able to marry? Because I want to have some kids. I want to have a family. And that all sounds like, OK, those are all good things. But really, what's the meaning underneath that? What really is the mission? Helen Keller, who was born without the ability to see, hear, or speak, uh, and uh, her story is well known, uh, she began to understand and, and, and receive the love of the people around her and began to give that love back. It developed just a wonderful life and, and uh, would communicate with other people very profoundly. She made this statement, life is either a great adventure or it is nothing. Life's either a great adventure or it's nothing. I believe that God's called me and you to an adventure, a mission. But how can we know what that is? And that's what I want us to explore this week and the, and the weeks to follow. So I'd like you to stand to your feet, please. There's a, a, a scripture on the screen. And I would like uh, all of us to uh, read this out loud uh, and uh, to sort of think through the words of this uh, passage as we say it together so so with full voice let's begin therefore i urge you brothers and sisters in view of god's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god this is your true and proper worship do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is is good pleasing, and perfect will. This is God's word. You may be seated. So this is the text that we'll be in for the next three weeks to help us ready ourselves for what our mission is and, and begin the process of how we can determine it for ourselves as individuals. There are three focuses that Paul uses in this text, uh, three, three things that he wants us to see that enables believers to determine what, what that particular mission is. And they involve the head, our minds, the heart, our emotions, and our hands, when we finally come to the point where we exercise our will. So what we're going to do today is we're going to begin with the whole concept of reasoning, using our minds, and how our minds activate what it is that God's called us to. How how do we respond logically to what God's will is, his mission for us? Uh, I am... An emotional decision maker. I just I don't say that to, as confession. It's just a fact. My Myers Briggs, uh, if you know the Myers Briggs Personality Inventory, there's the third letter that they designate either a thinker or a feeler, a T or F. I'm off the charts feeler, and what that means is in part that I tend to make decisions based on my emotions. So. That all through life, I, you know, I've just, you know, if I feel strongly about something, my emotions will, will take me somewhere, and I, I will tend to make decisions based on that. And it sort of has led me in some interesting areas. Uh, as uh, I look back on the history of my marriage, my, my wife mercifully is the opposite of me, and she's a very logical decision maker. So we've had conversations like this in the past. She'd come in and say, Hey, I noticed that the our tires on the car—they probably—they're getting a little bit bald. I think we need to have new tires. You know what my response is? Well, let's get a new car, right? And she's looking at me. She says, "No, we need new tires." so let's get a new car. I just emotionally—I just would feel better with a new car. Let's just do the whole thing new. Our, our roof was leaking, and you can imagine what I said there. You know, she said, "Yeah, what are we going to do about a roof?" I said, "Let's get a new house, right?" And uh, people around me have, have uh, noticed that about me too. One, one of the people I work with in my, in my office, she came in and uh, she's, she's my uh, um, director of, of our practice. And, and she sat down. And I said, "You know, I, I think I want to redo. I, I want to redo my whole office." Now I've just I redid my whole office about two years ago, but it's just it was just I was in that emotional mood. And she looked at me and she said. Um, how about the pillows on the couch? How would that be? Can we change those? I said, good, that's good enough. So I've got new pillows on the couch, and she rescued me. Why? Because I'm an emotional decision maker, and sometimes I don't click in my logic fast enough. What Paul is doing here, I think, first of all, is he's trying to help us to, to lock in our logic. Okay, what is it that we need to, to know? So after a thorough and glorious accounting, of what the gospel is. For 11 chapters in the book of Romans, Paul is saying to us, now this is what I want you to think about. I want you to think about it. Think about these things until it changes you completely. Think about it until it changes you completely. What do we think about? He he begins. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of what? In view of God's mercies. Cal Newport has written a book called Deep Work, and it's a book that it's not very well known, but it was, it was recommended to me by a good friend, and uh, he was just enamored with it, and I began to read it, and, I, and it, is, it is a fascinating book. Uh, it's written by an MIT grad, he's now a professor at Georgetown University, and his whole concept is that you really get the, the most mileage out of your life when you take the distractions all the noise and chatter that's in our world and you set those aside and you can totally focus on on worthwhile things that you want to accomplish. And in this book, he makes the statement, your world is the outcome of what you pay attention to. Your world is the outcome of what you pay attention to. What are you paying attention to? What gets your attention? The word... Uh, that, that's translated in, in this text. Uh, actually, they use two words. Uh, that is your true and proper worship at the end of, of, of verse one. The word in, in the Greek there is the word logicon, and, and it's got, it's in, in that word, it has our English word logic. And I memorized when I was young the King James Version, and, and the, the, the verse one ends with, this is your reasonable service. What Paul is saying is you've got to think this through. You've got to begin and you've got to get to a place where you think through what you're doing in light of what? In light of God's mercies, in light of what God has done for us. Jim Elliott, who was a missionary uh, in South America who tragically lost his life in the, in, in the, in the 50s, he, he was a martyr, and uh, he was trying to fly into a tribe. And, and uh, they, were, they were fearful of their arrival. And instead of fighting back, uh, he and four other missionaries had their lives being taken because they didn't want to compromise the gospel and do any harm to them. Uh, in a book about his life, uh, he was quoted as making this statement, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Paul is saying, look, if we're going to take this seriously, what God's called us to do, the wise thing to do is is to give to him so we can gain something that we can never lose. I can concentrate pretty pretty strongly on one thing. And in fact, if I get, if I get my mind on something, I, I, can, I can sort of shut the world uh, around me out. And I remember when my son was about seven, we were up in Massachusetts living, in, and uh, that's when, back when we had a morning newspaper. Remember newspapers? And uh, I, I would read it at the, at the breakfast table, I'd go through the articles that interest me, and I'd just focus on those. I'd just focus on those articles, uh, to the detriment sometimes of listening to, to my other family members remember one day, you know, I'm just so concentrated on an article, and I, I you know, somewhere in my subconscious, I, I hear rumblings, and, and it got louder and louder. And it was my son, who was seven years old, who was trying to get my attention. He was going, Dad, 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 louder and louder, Dad. Finally, the only way I got my attention, there was this little karate chop down through the middle of my paper, and there was this little seven-year-old face on the other side saying, Dad, focus, buddy. Focus, what are you focusing on? See, I think the first step in determining our mission is to focus on who God is and how we respond to the reality of who he is and what he's done for us. Whatever you're focused on will tend to be what you're really captivated by. What captivates you? Paul in Ephesians 2 gives us a good picture of what we were before our our faith in Christ and what we are now afterwards. And and this is a good good picture of what the mercies of God have done for us. Before, Paul begins, and you, you were dead in your sin. We were following the ways of the world. We were gratifying our flesh. We were following its desires and thoughts, just like everyone else. And then he uses these wonderful words, but God, this is the after. God is rich in mercy. He has great love. He's the giver of life. He's raised us with Christ. He's saved us by grace and created us for good works. Mark Batterson wrote a book called the, uh, Chasing the Lion. Actually, he's written several books, but I, I, I like this book, Chasing the Lion. And he talks about uh, a bunch of things in this book, but one of the things that that got my attention, he says, we all have a double destiny, all of us who follow Christ. And the first part of that destiny is is something that we universally are all called to, and that is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Whatever that means and how that looks in our life, but we're all called to that. We are to be Christ-like. And then he says there's a second part, though. There there never has been and there never will be anyone like you. Do you believe that and do do you grasp that? There's never gonna be anyone just like you and how God created you. So he says it means that no one can worship God like you or for you. If uniqueness is God's gift to you, then individuation is your gift back to God, what you do as his creation, as you respond to his grace. You are called to be you, the best version of you possible. Like happiness, destiny or mission isn't something you desire by seeking it. Yeah, I want you to get that again. Destiny or mission isn't something you get, you get by, by seeking it. You find your destiny and mission by looking for God, focusing on him. Then your destiny or mission finds you find your destiny, your mission by looking for God. Then it will find you. What are you looking at? What's your focus? In my profession as a counselor, we use a diagnostic manual. It's now called the DSM-5. And there are all sorts of interesting uh, situations in there in diagnosing people. And, and there are acronyms for, for certain diagnoses that, that we use uh, Things like uh, ODD, Oppositional Defiant Disorder. Uh, That's usually uh, something that's uh, diagnosed for children. Borderline personality is called BPD. Uh, PTSD is Post Traumatic Stress Disorder. We use that. Uh, Interesting, in the Northwest, there's there's a diagnosis that they use, an acronym for SAD. Uh, you, if you've lived in Seattle or visited Seattle during the rainy season, you know what I'm talking about. It's called a seasonal affective disorder. It's so dark and rainy there, they don't see sunlight for like months, you know, sometimes years I think. And uh, everyone gets really sad. So that's what it is, seasonal affective disorder. I, I've come up with my own diagnosis for myself spiritually. And it's and it's sad, only it's got two Ds. It's Spiritual Attention Deficit Disorder. That's what I suffer from. And it is interesting to me as as a 67-year-old man to stand before you and and tell you that you would think I would know now to regularly focus on who God is. But at times in my life, there are times when I just am, am distracted and I forget. David, great example. David, the chapter where he meets Bathsheba, uh, begins, it's the spring, when kings go out to war. Where's David? He's he's back home. He's he's sliding for home. Everything's covered. He's victorious. He's he's doing great. And he's not focused on what he needs to be focused on. And all of a sudden, he sees Bathsheba, and it's all downhill from there. 2016 was a tough year for me, and maybe for you too, but I, I remember getting through to the end of it and really trusting God with it, and uh, then, then this new year hit, and you know what happened? My spiritual attention deficit disorder kicks in. All of a sudden, I'm just, I'm fogged in. What God calls us to is to focus on him. If you are finding your mission, you've got to look to him first. And it's not to look to him for the mission itself, but looking to him. And then that mission will be given to you. Second part of this. Uh, is found in, in the second verse, where, where Paul says that, that we are not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. That, so we'll be able to test and approve. This, this, this is all lo- logical steps. We need to have, Paul says, our minds renewed. This transforms us as believers. So the second step, first step being focused. The second step is allow our focus on God and who he is to bring us to a totally new mindset. It's, it's, it's a continual way of thinking. Philippians 4:8, Paul says, and he gives us a little bit of a template for what that might look like, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Think about such things. Focus on those things. Let that be your mindset. St. Augustine made this statement. I've I've quoted it before, but it's one of my favorites. Lord, help me not so much as to live a holy life, but as to live a holy moment. So what Augustine is saying is "Don't, don't be worried about the future. Worry about right now. What's your mindset now? Are you following what God wants you to do now? I've told you before I ran the Boston Marathon. I'll probably tell it to you again. I like telling people I ran the Boston Marathon. Sorry. Uh, it was a long time ago. I was a lot younger. Uh, it was 1981. I was 31 years of age then. Uh, and, I, and I ran it, and I finished it. And, and uh, it, it was, it, it, uh, it's the illustration that keeps on giving, right? It's just, I just love it. And, and I, I've got a lot of memories of the actual race. But here, one of the, the most memorable time, I think, came before the race. And that is the three months of training that I had to do in order to get to a place where I could confidently run it and, and know that I, I was pretty sure I was going to finish it. And someone, a friend of mine, sent me a Xerox copy of a Runner's World article, How to Run Your First Marathon. And I read that thing, and I followed it to the letter. And started out the first week, and I remember going to the calendar. It was in our back hall, and I remember I put the times that I was supposed to run every day for three straight months and it was—it started 20-minute runs to 45 minutes. It alternated the days. Sundays were off, and and by the time I was into three months, it was 45 minutes on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, an hour and a half on Tuesday, Thursday, and then the Saturday run. The last Saturday run was two and a half hours. And I don't know what got into me, but I followed that thing to the letter. I was focused. You know what was great about those three months? Everywhere I went, and I traveled while I was doing this, so I'd be in places like we, I remember being in, in St. Augustine, Florida for, for a conference. I, I was in a bunch of states in the Northeast, some places that I'd never been before, and I had to do these runs, and I would just time it out, and I would, I would go out and, and hope that I could remember the way back on some of those days. But you know what was great about that time? I was focused. And that focus, because I want to finish that race, became a mindset. Every day, I was going to run. Every day, I was going to run. I finished the race because my focus became a mindset. Anders Ericsson is is a professor at FSU. I hope that doesn't disappoint you UF people, but I'm going to quote him now. Uh, He wrote a book called Performance Psychology. He's an expert in this field. And he, and he made the statement, diffused attention is almost antithetical to the focused attention required by deliberate practice. I'm going to read that to you again because I want you to get that. Diffused attention, the scattered things that we have, what's, you know, what's on our phone, who's texting me, what where are my emails, where am I supposed to go next? Uh, all the things that bombard your thinking, that's diffused attention. He says it's almost antithetical, completely opposite to the focused attention required by what? Deliberate practice. If you want to embrace God's mission, it's not just the, the initial focusing on him, but it's the daily focusing, it's the daily attention, it's the deliberate practice of looking to him and listening to what he has to say. So, initially, it's about how you focus and how that affects your thought processes day to day, but the end goal isn't just to think a new way, it's how it changes your actions. In the very course of your life, it's knowing his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's, it's knowing our mission. Every week, Mission Impossible, it, w- it would have the scene and the tape would be playing and, and Jim Phelps would be sitting there listening intently to, to the Impossible Mission of that week. Uh, and uh, it would it would end with these words uh, every time the tape would would the guy on the tape I don't know who that was but he would say these words as always should you or any of your I M force be caught or killed I M stands for impossible mission by the way isn't that great to have an I M force should be caught or killed the secretary will dis I don't know who the secretary was would disavow any knowledge of your actions. Good luck, Jim. And then this great last statement, this tape will self-destruct in five seconds. And then you just look at the reels going around and smoke would come out. It was cool back then, right? There's something exciting about that, something dangerous about that, something edgy about that. It's a mission. I remember the primary class at Christian Fellowship Church in Toledo, Ohio. Our church was in an old building. It was once a, a medical library. It was a two-story building, but I remember going up the, the stairs into the foyer, and then straight back down the hallway was, there was a hallway, there was a larger room, and that was the primary room. That was my Sunday school room growing up. And I was introduced to the wonders of flannel graph back then. If you ever know fla- flannel graph, there's just this board with a scene on it and these, these cut-out paper figures that, that the teachers would tell the story. And back then, that was pretty cool stuff. And I remember one Story that I will never forget. It was a story of a young boy by the name of Samuel. And Samuel was was uh, offered to the high priest Eli as as a as a thanksgiving token from his mother who wanted to have children and and promised that she would give that child if she would have a child back to the service of the Lord. So as as a young boy, he entered into the service of the priest, the, the, the chief priest Eli. So the scripture doesn't say exactly how old he was, but I always envisioned him being my age when I heard the story. I was probably around seven or eight when I heard this story. And the text in 1 Samuel 3 says Samuel was asleep one night and he heard someone calling, Samuel, Samuel. And he gets up and uh, he's in the service of Eli, the high priest. So he, so he runs in and to see what Eli wants, he's sleeping in another section of where, where they are uh, around, around the, uh, the temple there. And uh, Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. He goes back, goes to sleep. Samuel, Samuel, same, same voice. He goes, running in. Did you call me? No, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. He goes back. Third time, Samuel, Samuel, runs in. Eli finally gets it. And Eli looks at this young boy and he says, look, he says, the next time you hear that voice, say these words, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Of course, he goes back and the Lord comes back and he begins to speak to Samuel and he begins to give him his life's mission. God's called us to a mission as individuals and as a church body. It's not an impossible mission. It's one that initially requires our attention and a whole new way of thinking. You have a mission. We've got a mission corporately together. So we start with focus and we allow that focus to be a daily discipline to our mindset. And our mindset then becomes renewed daily, moment by moment. So you might say, okay, Jim, if I do this, is God going to speak to me in an audible voice? I will say, probably not, but you never know. Okay, right? But probably not. But he will speak to you. And what I would like you to do in terms of application of this, this text, and I would like to challenge you to do this for the next three weeks, every day, is I want you to take a time and get away from all the all the, the noise and, 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 and the hubbub uh, around you. And I want you to to just... Pause and and pray this prayer. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And then just wait and to see what the Spirit impresses on you. You might hear something like this. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go home and serve your wife and children, even if you've had a tough day at work. Make them a priority. Or it might be your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to sponsor that orphan child in Africa. Don't wait any longer. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to confront that habit that's turning into an addiction and starting to to really affect you negatively. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to tell your friend, that friend that you've had for a long time, that God really can have something to do with his life and that he loves your friend. Your mission, should you lose to, choose to accept it, is to lay aside your pride and heal that broken relationship and ask for forgiveness. I don't know what God is going to say to you, but I want to call you to a place where you can say, Speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. So being on mission begins with your mind, your focus, and your mindset. Now you know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your call in each of our lives. Thank you that you have created us unique and that you are in a place uh, in our lives that uh, is not just... uh, there to to give us rules to live by but a relationship to experience and as we relate to you lord i pray that uh, we would clearly hear your voice not just for the distant future but lord for today for this moment and i pray that as you have us here and as we as we reflect on on this passage that you would take us the next step in terms of what you want us to do both as individuals and also as a church. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.